You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1331 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. It is the opener for the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday at home against the Houston Rockets. We'll touch on all of that stuff and more on today's podcast. And today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users of Prize Picks can have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast today and making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out across podcast platforms on the video side. We're on YouTube, audio-wise, all the way across the board, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, etc. And uh, yeah, plenty to get to on today's show. I will just start this podcast by saying, though, this is the fourth show of the week already. I'm recording on Tuesday evening. It's been very, very busy in this space. On Monday, we reacted quickly to the DeAndre Hunter extension that broke on Monday evening, as well as some nuggets on the shooting guard position, the latest news and notes, some mailbag questions, et cetera. That show is still very relevant right now. My full analysis of the Hunter deal is on that podcast. And then on Tuesday, I dropped a two-part episode with my friend Robbie Callen of Uprock Sports and Dime. We talked about the Western Conference over-unders. That's an annual tradition. Also, we talked about the East earlier in the month of October. So those three shows already up in the last 24-ish hours. It's been very busy. And then here we are talking about all of the final things before the season actually starts because I've given some predictions along the way. I've been, been doing analysis on the, on the team all summer long. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. But we have a full back catalog of, uh, of episodes dating back to last season, of course, and then seasons before that. This podcast has been running since 2016. We've been very busy across the board on this show. But today is the day the Hawks will open their season. A lot of expectations that are very high this year for the club, and that's probably reasonable at this stage, but we'll get into some uh, of the new details on the DeAndre Hunter deals this last night, as well as a look ahead to the Rockets game at the end of the show and everything in between, predictions, all that stuff, but uh, we'll dive in right now to the top of the podcast, and it's, uh, again, sort of a follow-up to the DeAndre Hunter reaction episode on Monday with the extension. If you missed it, by the way, again, that full analysis is on that show on Monday, but it's a four-year deal worth $90 million plus five million dollars in incentives 1.25 million per season and unlikely incentives um and by the way the most on brand deandre hunter story of all time uh he's a very very chill guy he's soft-smoken he doesn't always get riled up never with the media he's he's, he's definitely a very nice guy i enjoy i enjoy deandre but he's not the most like high energy necessarily in those settings and apparently today kevin sharonhawks.com reported this and passed it along that Hunter was actually asleep when they were negotiating the deal all the way to the end on Monday evening. And he uh, was represented by his, by his agent and all that stuff. But uh, he woke up to it and basically said it was, quote, the best wake up ever. I'm sure it was for DeAndre Hunter making $90 million overnight. It was guaranteed. Um, also, in a different answer, he did say that it was way off his shoulders, no pressure heading into the season. That's obviously nice to have that security if you're DeAndre Hunter. He's excited about to uh, basically being in Atlanta, having it be his home. He's grateful for the Hawks kind of having faith in him at this point, but most mostly just like your normal extension talk. But that was a funny story about DeAndre being asleep when it was all going down. As, as for the incentives, I've not yet seen or be able to track down the actual specifics on that, other than the fact that they are unlikely and they don't, because they're unlikely, they don't count against the cap unless you actually do it. Basically what we know about this, and uh, I'll try to avoid the full on cap nerd stuff for now, but for a incentive to be unlikely, he had to have not done that last year. So they can get creative if they want to. Like, for example, it could be extremely unlikely, like stuff in uh, in the Jordan Poole and Tyler Hero deals. 
Both of those guys have defensive player of the year incentives. And if you don't know those guys very well, Pool and Hero have no chance of ever winning that award, like 0% chance of that ever happening. So that could be, they could be really, really, really unlikely like that, or it can be more like attainable, but maybe not likely necessarily. So that's all we know for now. And uh, Bobby Marks of ESPN reported that it starts, the deal starts at $20.09 million in the first year, which is next season. I got a few questions about this too, just for clarity's sake. Hunter's deal for the current season, 2022-23, does not change at all. There was no way to change that. It's a rookie-scale contract. He's going to be making that same amount of money. So no, no impact on the cap or tax for this season. It's all future-facing after the season is over. But yeah, about $20.1 million for the first year. And from there, it would rise to $21.7 in year two. 23.3 million in year three and then 24.9 million or so in year four for that total of 90 million basically about 15 15 and a half percent of the salary cap per season for hunter which is a very modest number it does not um have the same sticker shock of the 20 plus million dollars that you might be thinking of with hunter and that's what i'm trying to say on, on the on the show on monday is that the cap is rising at a level where numbers that we've had in our heads for a while don't necessarily apply at this point and for comparison's sake that same percentage is about $18.5 million for this season. So, like, that's basically the, Bogdan- the Bogdanovich contract, which no one's really been upset about. Like, it's not, not a huge steal, but it's totally been fine for Bogdanovich every single year. So, um, that's reasonable. It's in that same lane. $18, $19 million for now is kind of what it's going to look like moving forward. Still a lot of money. As I said on that podcast, he's going to have to get to sort of improve and also stay healthy to meet those expectations and maybe even exceed them. But there we are on all of that. And, by the way, one more thing that I, I failed to mention on the, on the reaction show that I should have included – was that Hunter will not be tradable next summer. Now, that does not mean he's going to be traded, so don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But we, ha- we don't have to look very far for an example of this. The Hawks famously extended Kevin Herter a year ago and then traded him less than a year after that as soon as he was able to be traded, basically, at the, at the end of the season. Now, the Hunter thing is different, but again, for example, maybe the Hawks, um, maybe a star comes available and the Hawks need to use his $20 million salary to match and um and trade that guy and have him be a tradable piece of that contract so i'm not saying it's going to happen but that is one thing that i should have at least said out loud is that maybe this does allow the hawks to trade him a year from now because if a guy is going into free agency uh there are sign and trade possibilities but those are very difficult um whereas with herder they could they just got they just got to trade him. it wasn't a great deal that i was like in love with but the hawks just didn't they didn't have to really like do anything weird about that they could just trade him that's one of the advantages of having that guy under contract is the flexibility that comes along with it. So there you go. That's uh, all I have for this show on DeAndre Hunter. We'll have more on that in the future. And again, my full analysis about you know, 15, 20 minutes worth on the Monday night podcast. Um, from there, a couple of quick hitters here. Um, the NBA officially announced the rosters for the opening night. Um, the league only does that once a year. It's basically the opening night roster, and they, they sort of do a, a mass release about that. Uh, no surprise that the Hawks have the roster that they have. It was, no, it was never going to be a change there that I was aware of. Um, 14 guys on the roster, plus the two two-ways. No surprises, no uh, no waivers, nothing like that. The Hawks still have an open roster spot at this point. If you've been following the podcast for a while, you might know this, but I asked Landry Fields about this at media day. He gave a pretty straight-ahead answer. Like, they're leaving that open for luxury tax reasons, and the Hawks are under the, under the tax right now. Um, they could fill that spot if they were in love with someone. I think you'll probably see the Hawks use, use some 10-day contracts later on in the season for some depth and some flexibility and some evaluation stuff. But for now, they're close enough to the tax line where they're, they're going to leave that open going into the season. And listen, you shouldn't have to have that necessarily filled. Uh, it's not great for competitive balance stuff, but you do have the two two ways. You have 16 guys available. They don't necessarily need that spot to be full. And right now, it's not full. So there you go. 14 guys plus two two ways for the season. 
All right, we'll have much more coming up on the podcast this week, including some player props and predictions on some player stuff. Uh, we have some mailbag questions to hit on. We have some storylines to touch on. My final predictions are coming on the podcast, as well as a look ahead at the Hawks-Rockets game in particular on Wednesday. But before we get to all of that stuff, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA or anything else this year, check out the award winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so very easy to use. I can vouch for that. I've been playing on Prize Picks for quite some time now in various sports. I'm really enjoying the daily grind, going through all the numbers, the more and the less, and all that stuff, projecting my own numbers and using them against Prize Picks. All you have to do is pick two to five players and weigh in on whether they'll actually have more or less than a certain number of points, rebounds, assists, or any other stat across the board in the sports world. And if you use prospects, you want up to 10 times the money on any entry. You're not just going against other people either. It's actually against the available projections at PrizePix. And PrizePix offers numbers of any sport you can think of. That actually includes the NBA, of course, college basketball, WNBA, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, NASCAR, tennis. They have MMA, they have boxing, cricket, and much more. And an entry can be done in 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy and that quick. Prospects also has safe and fast withdrawals, and they're operating in more than 30 states, and that includes Georgia. And they're also in Canada. Double the Prospects app today or go to prospects.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. And if you're a first-time user, 100% deposit match instantly up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prospects will give you $100. If it's $50, Prospects will match that as well. $50, 100% of your deposit is instantly matched by Prospects up to $100. You don't forget to use the promo code locked on though at sign up. And one more time, that promo code is locked on at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at Prospects. All right, and our friends at Bet Online, who sponsor this podcast, and shouts to Bet Online, where you should be checking out their lines and uh, everything they have to offer each and every day. Um, they released some final player props for a lot of key guys around the NBA over the weekend. I thought it was interesting to sort of touch on that as a season preview device. Um, I'm going to go player for player on what they're offering. I'm not going to like tell anybody to bet money on anything like this, but I'm going to give you my thoughts on all of these. Trey Young's over unders for his season long performance again. This is season long per game are 27 and a half points and nine assists on the point side. He went over that number in two of the last three years. It was 28.4 points per game last season. It could go down a little bit with DeJounte Murray. I would not want to bet this probably either way. I wouldn't want to have the under no strong play on it, but uh, that's a reasonable number for Trey young. Um, nine assists is the number he's been over that three years in a row. It is conceivable that his number dips below that with Murray on the roster, but I would never have the under here. In fact, I think I still might pick Trey to lead the league in assists this year, something like that. So I think I would probably lean over on that one because I, I just trust Trey's passing uh, implicitly. Uh, the one that I have the under on pretty firmly actually is Bogdanovich. So bogey, not because of performance, just because this is a kind of, an, a, 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 for me, a surprisingly high number, 16 and a half points for Bogdanovich. So 16 and a half is the number. He's never averaged more than that in his career. 16.4 is his career high. He could go over. It's conceivable if he's healthy and plays a lot of minutes and stuff like that. But I would probably project like 14, 15-ish for Bogey. Not a huge gap. Um, not one to like run home and, uh, and empty your bank account on this one. But I would lean under on that one because that number is just a little bit higher than what he's done in the past. And obviously with the injury stuff, with Murray on the team, et cetera. Uh, Capella's numbers are 13 and a half points and 12 and a half rebounds. Both are reasonable uh, points wise. He was above this two years ago and below it last year. I probably lean a little bit under because of Okongwu and his presence. I think Capella might play a little bit less. So I'd lean under on the, on the points uh, rebounding 12 and a half. He's been over that three of the last four years. Last year, though, was the one that was under of that four-year period. It's all about minutes, really. If he plays the same amount of minutes he, that he has in the past, he'll go over that. I think he's one of the best rebounders in the entire league. 
if Okongwu makes it to where they just cannot not play him, which is a good problem to have, um, you probably have to lean a little bit under on Capella. So no strong plays on those. Um, DeAndre Hunter is 15 and a half points is the number that they're offering there for DeAndre. Two years ago, 15.0. Last year, 13.4 for Hunter. I talked about him a lot, obviously, on the previous podcast. I would lean under on that number if I had to choose. I wouldn't want to bet that note necessarily. I think he will be better this year and more efficient this year. But between Murray having some usage, probably taking away from Hunter, and the fact that they don't really need him to score a ton this year, I would lean under if I had to choose. Um, speaking of Murray, by the way, his numbers are actually out there in, on points, rebounds, and assists. He's the only guy that has all three listed for the Hawks. Uh, 19 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, and six and a half in assists are the numbers for DeJounte. Um, last year, he went over on all three of these, but obviously a different situation in San Antonio as the number one seed, seed as the number one option by far. Um, 21 points last year for Murray in San Antonio. I would go under the 19 and a half if I had to choose. He's just playing with a lot more talent around him. He played a lot of minutes last year in San Antonio, which he probably should, he'll probably do again, but a lot less usage than he did last year. He's, he definitely still could go over. I'm not going to rule that out by any means, but if you had to, if I had to guess, I'd probably say like 18, 19 points a game for Murray this year. Rebounding-wise, I would go under as well. Seven and a half is the number. He had 8.3 last year, but that was the only year in his career he actually went over seven. Um, he's playing with a great rebounder in Capella. They uh, have a lot more just bodies and not, not quite the same like free flow um, you know, let Murray kind of do whatever he wants kind of atmosphere that he was doing in San Antonio. Again, another number, like, it would not stun me if you went over this, but I would probably a little, a little bit under. Um, the assist number, though, I would go over, actually. Six and a half is a pretty modest number for Murray. Now, it's hard for two guys to have a ton of assists, but the Hawks don't only have these two primary ball handlers, which makes it a little bit easier. And also, Murray averaged 9.2 assists per game last year. He's a really good passer. I think he'll get assists on the second unit in particular, playing with Trey on the first unit. He'll probably get some as well. I would still project like seven a game, so not like a huge over, but so less than last year, but more than this number. So I'll say that about, about Murray. And then lastly, John Collins has points and rebounds. Last year, um, sorry, this, this year's numbers for Collins are 16 and a half points and seven and a half rebounds per game. Last year, Collins went a little bit under on the point total of this, but he averaged 17 points a game or more in the three years in a, in a row before that. I would go over 16 and a half for Collins. Murray might take a little bit away from Collins, but I think he'll play more minutes this year because of the lack of Gallinari and he should be better overall. And also a key point that you probably wouldn't know if you, unless you were trying to be a sicko and dive way, way deep into this is that Collins last year, averaged 17.0 points per game before the injury. And it only got down to 16.2 because he played five games at the end of the year when he was not A, at full strength. He had, he had the bad finger injury and the foot injury. And he also played like half his minutes. And that brings your totals down. So he averaged more than this last year, if you kind of look closely at games where he was actually playing full. So I would go over on that one if I had to choose. Rebounds, seven and a half. I would also lean over there as well. I like the points one more. I'm more confident in points over for Collins, the rebounds over. But he's only been below seven and a half rebounds once in his starting career with the Hawks. Murray should probably take a few rebounds from him, you'd imagine, but more minutes, et cetera. And I would still lean over if uh, I was looking at Collins' numbers at this point in time. Okay, that's it for the player props. So I thought it was a little bit sort of a fun detour. As far as award stuff, I talked about a lot of this stuff uh, previously. I think Trey is like a decent dark horse bet to win MVP. I think Bogey, if he plays enough, has some six-man consideration. Um, most improved player odds, what might be, maybe on Hunter or something like that. Um, or a Kongwu if Capella were to, go, were to go down or get traded, something like that would be interesting. But not, nobody's like a huge favorite. Capella for Defensive Player of the Year is a, decent, is a decent sleeper if he sort of transforms things this year for the Hawks. But I think there is a reason why nobody's like a favorite to win any of these awards. I do think, though, Trey, like 50 to 1, I believe, but online is a decent MVP bet if you think the Hawks are going to be really good this year. Um, 
mailbag stuff quickly before we move on to some storylines and predictions. Um, a question from Tom who says, if the Hawks are under 500, is Nate under pressure by the All-Star break? And what happens if they go out in the first round of the playoffs again? Um, this is a guess. I'm not reporting. I want to be very clear about this. I'm not reporting this. I think if the Hawks are struggling um, sub 500 midseason, Nate could be in trouble. I would not say they're definitely going to fire him, but I think that after last year and the way that all went, um, the honeymoon is probably over with regard to the, the run two years ago. And if they're struggling now with all the pieces that they added and the money they're spending, et cetera, I think they could be a little bit on the hot seat by them. Um, first round loss, it kind of depends on how it goes. If it's like last year and they get blown out in the first round, uh, that might be tough for Nate to overcome. And listen, I'm not trying to be critical, but Nate's playoff record pre-Atlanta and also last year, it was not great. Obviously, he was uh, at the helm of the run two years ago as the interim guy, but his playoff record is not very good. So we'll see. Um, I think that what I've been saying a lot is like, this is a big year for Nate in addition to everybody else. I'm not saying he's definitely going to get fired if they struggle, but uh, it would not stun me if he did, if they were having a bad season. I don't, I'm, I'm never root for guys to get fired. I think Nate is a t- totally fine coach, but there is going to be some heat on him just because of the fact that they've spent a lot on the roster and invest a lot on the roster. And generally speaking, the head coach, as we saw with Lloyd Pierce is like the first to go if things go bad. So I think we'll see that with Nate if it uh, goes very, very bad at some point. But um, until then, I'm, I'm still going to, I certainly bet that the Hawks keep him all year long if I had to bet right now. But if they are struggling, and that was the premise of the question, he might be in some trouble if it gets kind of ugly at some point. Um, the other mailbag question I want to hit on quickly here is from Colton, who says, what will the Hawks' best lineup be this year? Is it just the starting lineup? Um, I would say there's a good chance it's the starting lineup. Now, the lineup that I'm talking about there is, is of course, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Click Capella. Um, there are other options. I think, for example, if Bogey is Bogey in capital letters, he might be part of their best five. I'm not sure who he replaces in that best five. I, I think, obviously, Trey and DeJounte are penciled in. Um, if Hunter struggles and Bogey is Bogey, Bogey's been a better player than Hunter basically every step of the way. Now, defensively, not great, necessarily. Um, Bogey is not as good defensively as Hunter is. But if you go by, like, last year, for example, Bogey was a better player than Hunter, pretty clearly. So, you, and maybe both more juice on offense, et cetera. It's also possible, like matchup based, this might be dictated by that. Like, if you're playing a team where you're trying to switch more, maybe play a Kongwood instead of Capella. Um, if you want to play small, maybe you go with Collins and center every once in a while and have Hunter play some four. Jalen Johnson might be a standout this year. But I think if I had to guess, it's probably the starting lineup. And the most likely um, alternatives to that as their best lineup would be bogey for Hunter or maybe a Kongu in there if he's just like really breaking out by the end of the season and Capella's struggling or whatever. But I think um, it's either the starters or it's bogey in for Hunter, if I had to guess right now. And again, bogey's hurt right now. So at the moment, it's pretty comfortably the starters and it's probably why they're the starters at this point. Okay, quickly, um, somebody asked me this question. I'm going to kind of broadly answer it. Uh, basically, like, what are the top five storylines of the season? And these are some, this is stuff that I've talked about a lot already. So if you're a frequent listener, my apologies, but I'm just kind of peddling it down to five is tough, but I think number one, and this is not really in any order, but um, the first thing I'll say is like Trey and DeJounte, how it all works. Um, I'm not worried about that. Just as a refresher, if you've not heard me say it before, I think it's going to work just fine. Is it perfect? No on offense. Those guys are not a perfect fit necessarily because Trey, um, I think is much better on the ball than, than anybody else is basically. And De- DeJounte is not a huge off ball force right now, but he can cut, he can work off the ball. We've seen some good stuff in the preseason so far at times. There'll be a little bit of your turn, my turn, I think across the board between those two guys early in the season, but I have some faith in that pairing. I think DeJounte is going to help Trey defensively, just covering him up, covering, covering up for him, I should say at some point. So I am on the higher end of that pairing, generally speaking, but it will dictate a lot for the Hawks. If it, if it doesn't work great, 
they, they probably won't be great this year. That's kind of the name of the game. Like the talent acquisition there is obviously great. Uh, DeJounte is a really good player, but uh, that fit is going to be key in unlocking a lot of upside stuff for the Hawks. And uh, I'm not worried about it, but I understand there's at least some concerns about it nationally. And um, we'll see is basically my answer at this stage, even if I'm a little bit higher than some. Um, number two is DeAndre Hunter. And obviously we talked about him a lot with the extension stuff this week, but even before that, I've been listing him as my X factor as far as the players on this roster are concerned all summer long. Anytime I do a national appearance with a podcast or radio or whatever, people ask me that question and I always say DeAndre Hunter. And it's because if he's the guy that they think he's going to be, the Hawks are going to be really good this year. And if he's the guy he was last year, the Hawks could still be pretty good, but they won't be as good because Hunter struggled last year. And that's something I'm not going to back off of. I know there's been a lot of heat on that. I think he was not very good last year on the whole. There were nice flashes. The playoffs were really encouraging. He had a couple of big games against Miami. But on the whole, his advanced numbers were brutal last year. His efficiency numbers were not very good last year. And they need more from him. They, they know it. I think he knows it. He was banged up at times last year with the hand, sorry, with the wrist injuries and the back injuries, et cetera, et cetera, like all that stuff. So I don't think that. I'm worried, but he is an X factor on this roster in part because there's nobody behind him. Like they have Dustin Holiday, who's a nice plug and play rotational wing, but in terms of like starting power, starting small forward every night, it's going to be Hunter and he's going to like sort of take them. I think um, he's a big part of their ceiling this year. If he's not great, they won't be able to be in that, in that top of the line conversation in the Eastern conference. If he is playing well this year, that definitely helps a lot. So if there's one guy that I would say is the X factor, it is DeAndre. He's not the best player on the team by any means. Trey is the best player. DeJounte is the second best player. And then from there, I would still go to Collins and Capella before I get to Hunter. Uh, but I think he is a really, really interesting and important and versatile and uh, really ultimately an X-factor kind of piece for the Hawks this season. Third, I would say, is the depth questions, which kind of plays into Bogdanovich. And so is this, the fourth thing, which is the shooting. But we'll come back to that in a second. The depth is not great on this roster right now. I, I will stand by that. Really, um, with Bogey out of the lineup, there are really only two guys that are like full on proven pieces outside of the starters. And that is Justin Holiday on the wing and Akongwu at the five. Um, you could throw Aaron Holiday in there. He's a he's been a solid like third point guard for most teams. Um, I, he's definitely a veteran. He's fine. I, I, I like that signing quite a bit for the minimum. But in general, if they don't have Bogey, there isn't a whole lot of trust that I have on, on that second unit. No, they have some talent. Jalen Johnson's really talented. AJ Griffin's really talented. We'll see. But um I think the depth is a concern. Is it a is it a game changer, a game breaker? No, I would I would not say that necessarily. But they did lose a little bit of depth in the offseason with the Gallo move, with the Gallo move, with trading Herder, um, et cetera. They, they don't have the same depth that they had previously, and that's kind of the cost of going out and getting a guy like like Murray. You're investing more in your starters than you are on your bench, and that's okay. But that's uh, that's definitely a question for me. If they get a couple injuries at the wrong times, it could be a little bit challenging. And the same thing with the shooting. This is the fourth one, but um, especially, again, with Bogey out, they don't have the same shooting that they had either previously. previously. Um, in fact, uh, essentially, Bogey is the only guy outside of Trey that is a proven knockdown shooter. Hunter can shoot. I, I do believe that. John Collins is a pretty good shooter at the four, of course. I think Justin Holiday can shoot. But in terms of like high-end, put pressure on the defense shooters, they lost two of their guys that did that in Gallo and Herter. Now they've definitely improved defensively with the absence of Gallo in particular. And even with Herter going from going from Herter to Justin Holiday and DeJounte Murray is a big upgrade defensively too. But I think the shooting is going to be questionable. We'll see if AJ Griffin kind of offsets a little bit of that stuff, but they definitely need bogey along the way because of that. And then the last thing storyline wise is basically what happens next with the Hawks. Now I don't want to get all the way into this now because there's a long way to go here, but like I got questions about whether the Hawks should stand pat at the deadline and uh, how, how it's all going to go. Can the Hawks make a big move in season to kind of go for it this year if they want to, 
it's all about money stuff on that front. Like, I don't know if the Hawks want to go into the tax and they don't necessarily have to. They did, I think, on purpose, leave themselves the ability to trade their own first round pick, which we covered a little bit on, Mon- on the Monday show this year. Uh, if they want to trade their first round pick to um, improve the roster, they can do that. If they want to make a big move to kind of shake it up midseason, if they're struggling, you might see that. Like if they're below 500 in February, you might see them make a big move that's future facing. If they are overachieving, maybe they go out and buy at the deadline to try to win the title this year, something like that. So we'll see. Um, I think that it's too early to kind of know right now, but I think whether the Hawks should stand pat kind of depends entirely on what they actually are doing this season. The future is very bright. Most guys in this roster are still on the upswing or at least in their primes. There isn't a whole lot of downside risk age-wise. Like the only guys that you might circle for regression age-wise are maybe maybe Capella. And then you would say Bogdanovich because of the because the uh, his age and also his knee. But everybody else is either right in their prime or on the way up, which is a very, very nice thing to have if you are the Hawks. Okay. Before we get to my final predictions on this season, some uh, best case, some worst case, my actual predictions and stuff like that, a word from our sponsors on the show today. All right, it's time for my predictions. And uh, I'm not a huge prediction guy, so it's just one of those things that I'm like contractually obligated to do at this point of the season. I'm going to save my actual prediction for, for in a second, and I'll start with the positive. I'll say the best case scenario. Now, I want to be honest about this. There are different levels of best case and worst case. So I'm going to kind of walk you through this one. Um, the absolute best case I can see in a regular season is the Hawks being the number one seed. In the Eastern Conference. Now, is that likely? I would say probably not. But I think the Hawks do have enough juice on this roster if everything goes well to win in the mid to high 50s. And that will get you at least in, the, in a conversation with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, um, that requires a lot. That requires Trey to be what he was last year or even better than that, which is an awesome top 10 player in the league kind of level. Um, DeJounte Murray being uh, sort of fitting in very well, um, doing what they want him to do on both ends of the floor, that working out very well. DeAndre Hunter making a step forward, not, not, not necessarily a star turn. People kind of want that, but him being a high level role player that is available and consistent, plays 70 games, etc. John Collins being John Collins and being healthy and being productive as a two-way guy. The Hawks having 48 minutes of incredibly effective center play between Capella and Okongwu, especially on defense, would be very, very helpful. Bogey getting healthy and being back in the next few weeks and bringing his bogeyness off the bench, getting a lot from Justin Holiday and Aaron Holiday and, J- and Jalen Johnson. If everything goes well, the Hawks can, I think, challenge for that top seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, a step below that is like a good scenario, like, like a capital G scenario um, that's like a very, very positive, above average scenario for the Hawks. I would say that is the Hawks being in that, you know, two, three, four seed conversation, winning in the low 50s. Um, this is more realistic than the number one seed conversation, but this is basically, um, I think, Hunter take. Hunter taking a step forward is huge in this. Um, not like every single thing going well, like something is allowed to go wrong, but um, basically like the high end outcome, what I'm envisioning in my mind is like what the Hawks have been in the second halves in the last two seasons. Even amid some injuries, the Hawks have played at a 50, 50 plus one pace for a half season twice in the last two years. It's just the first, the first half of the season, both times was pretty bad. So if they can kind of string it together more consistently and play at that level for a full season, that becomes a two or three seed in the Eastern conference. That's very much on the table, especially when you have a high end player like Trey, uh, we'll come back to the official prediction and we'll skip through to the worst case or the below average scenarios. Um, I'll, I'll do worst case first. Um, and basically, you know, this, this sort of ignores the possibility of, really really the worst case which is like bad injuries i'm gonna knock on wood right now and uh take that off the table we're not gonna talk about that but um short of that i would say the stuff like like could go wrong going wrong kind of mirrors the first halves of the last two seasons in a lot of ways 
as the worst case scenario would be like, let's say Bogey never never gets back and is never right. Like he plays, but he's not the same, and he doesn't really have that juice. The depth kind of burns the Hawks this year. Um, Trey and Dejounte don't necessarily mix very well. Dejounte struggles. Trey takes a step back from last year. Um, you have a little bit of struggle from John Collins and his and his another different role for him. Hunter stagnates and is the guy he was last year. Um, Capella starts to level off a little bit with age or whatever else. The Congo doesn't break out, and uh, if all that stuff happens, you get some injuries along the way too. I think the Hawks could worst case, like no, no disaster scenario. I would say they could be like, like they were last year, like a 40 win team, like a low play in team would be like nine, 10 seed in the East. I don't think that the Hawks are going to miss the play in unless um, some of the worst case scenarios actually come in with injuries and stuff like that. I could be wrong, but I think I, a reasonable worst case scenario is like, it's like the nine or 10 seed for the Hawks this year. I think a below average scenario, um, more like the above average, but the other way for the Hawks is like what happened to them last season. Like they, they win in like the 43, 44 range. Um, again, it probably involves guys like Hunter and bogey um, either not being healthy or struggling a little bit. Murray's just okay uh, by his standards coming in um, that kind of stuff. Jalen Johnson kind of staggers um, and does not prove himself behind John Collins. They, they have some death issues along the way, some injuries to Capella injuries to Collins, et cetera. And they kind of just hang around the middle. Um, there's no like, fire on Nate's behind at that point, but at the same time, nobody's thrilled and they kind of just have a mess season. And that ends up with like 43 wins and the eight seed or the, even, even the nine seed. Um, as we'll talk about in a second, I think there really are eight teams for six spots and the Hawks are in that mix. But I think if uh, re- reasonably like a blow average scenario would be like, maybe they fall behind Chicago or something like that. And they become the nine seed. And now before we get to my actual prediction, um, the East is loaded which is worth noting at this point. I think that that's been talked about a lot by me and others. Um, Robbie and I did some Eastern Conference over-unders on the show last week. And I'll just say this, like I think there are eight teams that I think are actually good in the East and they're on sort of different tiers. Um, I know this Hawks fans don't love, but I say this, but there are three teams that I think are at least have to be in the half tier or maybe full tier above the Hawks right now. This is not me saying the Hawks can't finish ahead of them. You just heard me say on the podcast, I think the Hawks could actually be the number one seed in the East if they put it all together this year. But I have to have, at least in my mind, three teams ahead of them, and that's Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. Now, Philly has the most downside risk, I think, because Embiid's had injuries. And if you don't, if he's not out there, they're not the same team, but they're pretty loaded. Last year, a lot went wrong for Philly, and they still won 51 games. Um, whereas, you know, Boston obviously made their run in the second half of last year. The defense is really solid. Milwaukee has Giannis. Um, Obviously, injuries can ruin any of that stuff. But those three teams, I think, are still, for me, the top three in some order of safety. And then you get into, um, you know, five teams for three spots beyond them. And that's that's tough. Brooklyn's the ultimate wild card. Um, if they're really, really good, they can be the number one seat. They're that loaded. But also, one injury to KD, and that's a play-in team at best. So that's that's really that kind of swing, plus the Ben Simmons stuff, the Kyrie stuff. He's not reliable, all that stuff. Um, then you get into Atlanta. Toronto, Miami, and Cleveland. I'm famously low on Miami. I'm not a big fan, but listen, they have Spolstra and they have Jimmy Butler and they've been out of bio. That's a good infrastructure. They win a lot of games usually. So even though I'm pessimistic on them on the heat, I am uh, not necessarily going to bury them despite their uh, roster challenges. Uh, Cleveland has got a lot of talent. I don't really believe in their supporting cast right now, but they do have a lot of talent. So that's a team that could win 50 games. They could win 42 games. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I do think that they're, that they're going to be good. And then Toronto doesn't have a lot of depth, but they are well-coached. They play hard and they play well. So 18 for six spots. I do believe, by the way, that there are two teams below that. Like I think the Bulls and the Knicks are like competent. I really do. Like the Knicks don't always exude competence, but that, that team's pretty deep and pretty uh, reasonably talented this year. But those are my nine and 10 in some order, if you're wondering. Um, but anyway, 
I think my official prediction will be the Hawks as the team that I actually think the Hawks are the fourth best team in the East. Now that's a little bit higher than some. Um, my, my win total won't be necessarily jaw droppingly high. And I think if you play the math, this is a very nerdy thing, nerdy thing to say, but if you play the math, even if you think the Hawks are the fourth best team, the odds are probably better than not that someone between the Brooklyn, Toronto, Cleveland, Miami tier has a great season and finishes ahead of them, if that makes sense. So I think the Hawks are in that four or five range. Um, I'm going to say 49 wins. I've gone back and forth between 48 and 49 a few times. Um, if Bogey was healthy right now and had been looking like Bogey in the preseason, I would go to 50 on the Hawks. I know that, may, that might sound crazy to kind of take a win away for, because of Bogey for some people, but I think he is that important. And having a guy that we, we just don't know when he's going to come back. He might miss another month. I, I don't really, I'm just guessing right now. They have not said anything about that, but he does not anywhere close right now. It doesn't seem he's not been practicing. So we'll see on that. But I will say 49 wins. That is, uh, you know, two and a half, three wins above the projection for the Hawks in the, in, in the uh, Bet Online universe and Vegas universe across the board. Um, I know a couple of projections, I think 538 is the highest, 51 wins. But I think 49 is pretty healthily higher than most people would have the Hawks. I believe in this team. I think they're going to be really good this year. I think Trey is an offense unto himself. He is that good. He's a top 12 player in the league-ish for me, something like that. He's an awesome player. He's a top three or four offensive player in the league. He is that good. And uh, I think that really helps your floor to be raised. I believe in the Hawks having 48 minutes of center play that's on the level of like basically any team in the league other than Denver and Philadelphia. Um, that's how good the depth is between those two guys, between Capella and Okongwu. I think Collins is really good. Top 50 player in the league-ish. Um, I think Hunter, as I said before, is going to be better than he's ever been this year, taking a step forward. I don't predict stardom for him, but I think that he'll have his best season. I think he'll bring a lot of value as a two-way player and just kind of be more available and um, a lot of good vibes around Hunter right now. And then Murray's really good too. And the depth is a, a bit of a concern for me, but I do believe what the Hawks are building at this point in time. So anyway, that's my final prediction. It is 49 wins. Flame me if you'd like to, but uh, I, I think it's a little bit higher than most people are. So maybe I'll push against my uh, reputation for being a little bit negative, but there we are. And I, I'm uh, sticking with that at this point in time. All right, before we get to the... Uh, sign off of this podcast. I do. I wanted to give you a list, a little bit of a rockets preview because we won't always do like full fledged game previews on this show, but because it's the opener, it's pretty interesting. So we'll touch on that now on the way out. Uh, Houston was very bad last season. They won 20 games. That's a bad basketball team. They were in the bottom five in offense and defense. They were dead last in the league in defensive efficiency. Offensively, they had the worst turnover rate in the league. They're not great shooting. Um, they were good at getting the line. They'll say that. And then defensively, they were pretty much bad across the board. They do have a bunch of talent. Jalen Green is a potential breakout guy this year, former top three pick. Kevin Porridge got a new deal. He's very talented. Eric Gordon is still on this team as a veteran, a very solid wing. Um, Jabari Smith, top three pick this year. A guy, I think as a rookie, might not be like fantastic, but most rookies aren't. But I think he's going to be a very good player for a long time. They have Alperin Sengun as a uh, really interesting offensive player at center. Old pal Bruno Fernando is the backup center for the Rockets this year. Shouts to Bruno. But uh, anyway... It's a bad team coming into your building, so we'll get back to this in a second, but obviously a, a friendly spot for Atlanta. Even with Houston, does, they do have some talent. This is a very young team that's still trying to find itself at this point in time. Injury report-wise, the Hawks only list one guy on the injury report. It's Bogey. He's out with what the Hawks are calling right knee injury recovery. No big surprise there. He's going to be out for a little while longer, and uh, no surprises. Now, I will say, Nate McMillan, this is via Lauren Williams of the AJC and Kevin Chouinard of Hawks.com, said that Trey Young did not practice on Tuesday because he was under the weather. Now he's not listed at all here. So, and if I know Trey, he does not want to miss the opener. He's very, very tough and does not like to miss games. So barring a turn for the worse on Wednesday, that's not foreseen. I think he'll play and he's not even listed as even probable or questionable with the illness. So we'll see, but he missed practice today. Keep an eye on that throughout the day on Wednesday. Um, on the Rockets side, Jayshon Tate is out. He's 
probably their best defensive player, at least one of their best defensive players on the wing. So that's actually a pretty big loss for the Rockets. Um, and no, Tata Washington, who's the rookie guard for the Rockets as well. So at this point in time, our friends at Bet Online have the Hawks as a 10 point favorite in the game on Wednesday. That seems about right to me, honestly. Uh, projection wise, I know Sports Line, where I work, has the Hawks at 81% to win, 538s, 90%. They love the Hawks this year. ESPN's 86%. So obviously, a high likelihood of a victory in this one. I will say, as, uh, as I do my role of um, skeptic and just kind of realist, there's a little bit more variance for the opener than there is for a lot of games. Like if this game was uh, in a normal course of the season, I would probably have a little bit more confidence in the Hawks because there's a little bit of rust factor. Nobody's played in a few days and uh, the Rockets will be ready to play. I'm sure. Also, I got a mailback question from itchy about whether there was a potential downside to playing bad teams early in the season when they're still trying. I kind of agree with that. Um, not a ton, but I think that everybody is still trying and has some belief in October and Houston is the kind of talented team that can kind of beat you if you don't play well. So it's still a spot where the Hawks should win and need to win. And these first five games are very soft on the schedule for the Hawks. So starting out like four and one is kind of what they need to do here and not digging themselves a hole like they did last year on the schedule. But long story short, I certainly would, would predict a Hawks win. I would never go as far as to say that it's like a lock or anything like that. It's not, that's not really my brand, but the Hawks are a lot better than the Rockets. They're playing at home. It should be a good crowd at, at State Farm Arena. So we'll have full coverage of the game and all that stuff. But the Hawks are at, at the moment at Bell Online, a 10 point favorite in the opener on Wednesday. All right, that's it for today's podcast. If you are just joining the podcast or just finding the show for the first time, first of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, please subscribe to the show across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, um, download across the board if you want to do it more than one time. That definitely helps the show. But uh, spread the word. Tell your friends about the podcast as well. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. We'll be back again after the game on Wednesday with, with another live reaction show. All that fun stuff. And we'll see you next time.